0: Before we get into the episode, I just got to tell you guys that when you hear the loser game show sound, uh, that's when Justice comes in. The audio got uh, cut out through the Skype call when Justice joined the call. So when you hear the loser game show sound and Stephen Godfrey abruptly stopped talking, that's going to be our transition. So just so you weren't confused. All right. Today's episode of Setting the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash edge. That's audibletrial.com slash edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash edge. I'm popping bottles tonight. Come do for a fight if you're
1: ready. Yeah i baby
2: I'm bottles, baby I'm tonight yeah.
0: Yeah. Welcome to episode 37 of the Set in the Edge podcast I'm your host Charles McDonald you can find me on Twitter at 4verts We're trying to get Justice in here but he's having some technical difficulties but joining us today is Stephen Godfrey of SB Nation you can follow him on Twitter at godfrey38 or 38godfrey Thirty-eight Godfrey. Thirty-eight Godfrey. He uh, covers hot football for SB Nation and hosts the uh, podcast St. Playing Nobody" podcast with uh, Bill Connolly, who also works for SB Nation. How you doing today, Stephen? Good man. How are you? I'm doing good. Ready to talk some college football. Uh, we've had some interesting storylines over the past few months, but I I think the Ole Miss story with Hugh Freeze. Uh, resigning over the prostitution scandal or the escort scandal kind of takes a cake there. And one of the questions that Justice wanted to ask you off the bat was, uh, who who are the names that you think could wind up in that Ole Miss coaching pool?
1: Well, I think that it really depends right now on what they do at the Committee on Infractions in September. So they meet in Covington, Kentucky, which is right across the water from uh, Cincinnati. And they've basically got to... Get their house in order before they can really know what type of candidate they can attract to that job. So, the biggest question off the bat is are they going to have a one, two, three, whatever year bowl ban? Um, and if the so, basically, if the roster is allowed to transfer out immediately, like a Penn State situation, you're looking at a much, much more substantial rebuild. I mean, as it stands right now, the recruiting hits that they took because of the NCAA investigation aren't affecting them on the field yet. That's, that's still to come. They could actually be a pretty decent football team this year. So, however, if you're looking at rebuilding a roster, that's basically been, you know, decimated from scratch in the SEC West, you're looking at a seven, eight year project. And so what you have to do and like what coach you can get to do that or what coaches would be interested is, is, you know, it, I think it, it differs wildly. I mean, I, the best analog I could give would be like a Matt Rule situation at Baylor where they went to him and they said, look, the as far as the on-field stuff goes, the worst is yet to come because they got just killed when they fired Bryles in recruiting. Right. We're going to invest in you for seven years. So th- it, I think it would be a situation like that.
0: You think they have a chance to land any like, big fish names? Uh, I mean, obviously, like – I'm not really sure exactly, but you think they could pull somebody like Chip Kelly? Like, would he even fit in the culture down there? No,
1: I don't, I, I don't think he fits at all. I also think because of his involvement with Willie Lyles, the school is going to try and go as clean as humanly possible. And I think the the culture of big names has changed so much in college sports, in that you you're seeing programs like Texas and Oregon um, hire mid major coaches, young guys who run innovative systems who have sat at the feet of you know the. The the largest names in the sport, guys who come off the Meyer tree are, you know, in Taggart's case, came, you know, worked with with Jim Harbaugh. They've developed, they've iterated, and then they've created a, a much younger, more progressive culture in terms of everything from the locker room to social media. Those are the guys who are being scooped up right now. So I think it's less of could Ole Miss go out and contend for the biggest names that are current college fo- football head coaches. I think the question is, can Ole Miss go out and get the hottest young coaches because I think that's the direction they want
0: to go in yeah that, that makes sense and just they they just kind of need to repaint the face of that program after after what happened with you yes. freeze and it's that it's so funny after uh he got caught and they were asking like what's he gonna what like they asked him what are you gonna do next and he was like I'm just gonna pray and talk to God about it like I, I don't know it's always funny to see that reaction come out after a scandal like that
1: he's a very very you know, I think people would say deluded. A lot of people would say hypocritical. I don't know <laughs> if it, I don't know if it's as easy to label in that because there there really is an inherent belief in himself. It's amazing. It really is amazing. And I wrote about this the night he got fired. How human beings can compart, compartmentalize, you know, their actions and their belief structure. You know, and and so in this case, it's it's just this incredibly outward faith. Right. No Mm. one asked to be that outward with with his Christianity. And yet he gets busted for, you know, hookers, essentially. Yeah. So how does how did like how did he rectify that in his head as it was going on for what we what we know to be, you know, a considerably long time? It's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. Like that.
0: I'm I'm not I don't know if I want to say lying to yourself, but that self rationalization in your head when you do something bad and like just trying to figure out how to explain it to yourself and others around you is always is always fascinating.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, going back to Chip Kelly, if he does decide to get back into college coaching, where are some spots you think he can land up? Because we already heard you know, like the UCLA rumors last year. Uh, like, what spots do you think would be a good fit for Chip Kelly?
1: I think UCLA is definitely a good spot for Chip Kelly. Um, I think UCLA is in a very interesting position, as it seems to always be, with Jim Mora, where the talent is never commiserate with the win total. You know, they're going to they're gonna have another quarterback in Josh Rosen who's going to end up being probably a first-round pick, right? Unless something just completely strange happens. Yeah, unless he just falls apart completely the season. And they're really not going to have the win-loss total to, to reflect that. I, I just, you know, look at, I mean, look at the amount of first-rounders that they've put out. You and I are both Falcons fans. I mean, Ty McKinley comes out for whatever reason. There is a a pronounced disconnect between the recruiting and the product itself at UCLA. I don't know how much longer that will be tolerated. When you look at Kelly, you look at someone who could possibly even shift the media attention in Los Angeles, if they want to, over to Westwood, which is really hard to do. USC has always been the dominant brand in football, so… Um, I think he would fit well there. I think he would demand a lot more than what UCLA has provided in terms of in terms of resources and budget and things like that. Or Texas, as he does on the coasts for, for obvious reasons. Yeah, we got
0: justice in here. Perfect timing for Chip Kelly talk. We were just talking about Chip Kelly and the UCLA rumors.
2: Right. So that that's I, also I'm, I'm I hope I'm uh, I hope we're already past Falcons talk at this point in the podcast. I right? <laughs> haven't we, started it. haven't even started. Oh, no. OK. I missed the wrong part then. Um, the weird thing to me about the Chip Kelly stuff. Right. Is uh, I, I think everyone's kind of come out and been like Chip Kelly to Ole Miss, like just just linking him to big, big time programs isn't probably the way that he's going to end up going. It seems like the West Coast jobs are the ones that are sticking in terms of the rumors. Mm-hmm. But if it's not UCLA and Jim Moore isn't out, like, is that what does that leave us with? Like, is he going to take the Arizona job? Like, is he going to stay in television?
1: Um, if you look at jobs that we think might open this year, and again, it's August. There's always first off, there's always going to be a job that comes out of left field. South Carolina and Steve Spurrier, right? Uh, you know, uh, Beamer retires at Virginia Tech. We sort of knew that one a little bit, but we didn't know it. You know, up until it really happened. There's going to be something. I mean, usually like the Ole Miss type situation would ha- would hit, and, and a lot of people thought it would because the committee on infractions meets during the season. They thought maybe Ole Miss would open in, in, in the season. I still think there's a school like that in the Power Five that for whatever reason is going to fire their coach uh, right in the middle of the season. It, it, that's become so popular now. It's hard for us to look at the landscape to where we think, well, all right, let's say Jim Morris stays at UCLA. Is he left out of nothing? I don't necessarily think so. Now, both Arizona schools are in unique situations. So you start talking about the Arizona schools and which one's the better job. And right. it's tricky. I don't even know if I necessarily want to say X is better than Y, but um, I think he fits there. You know, I, I, I think he fits there. He, he definitely lends himself to the Pac-12 in the right ways. And, uh, but at the same time, okay, what if, what if Boston College opens? Is that, a, is that too small a job? Is it just not possible? I mean, these are things that – I think the Kelly thing is going to take a much, much – that situation is going to become a lot clearer probably, I don't know, November. Uh, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Now, I, I, we were uh, – we've been talking about an, another guy who's in the Pac-12 because we're big draft guys, Sam Darnold. Uh, uh-huh. As Justice noted uh, in our text to – in the text to me – Started three games against both both teams last year in the regular season. He went five touchdowns, four interceptions. So like, what is this Sam Darnold hype based off of? I, I don't I don't really get it at all.
1: It's USC. Yeah. I mean I I not to speak ill of the kids specifically, but I do think it's USC. We we as the national media, for whatever reason, find it necessary or comfortable to to have them sort of situated out there as a as a dominant brand on the West Coast. And I think that their personnel has benefited from that dramatically in the last 10, 20 years, going back to when Carroll gets the program up and going again. I'm not saying that good, consistent NFL talent doesn't come out of USC. I'm just saying that they benefit from an overabundance of attention. And quarterback, of course, is going to you know, be the best example of that.
2: Yeah, I think the, the really weird thing to me is when I was looking at numbers – so like uh, Josh Allen, the kid from uh, Wyoming, right? He mm-hmm. ended up throwing twice as many passes against both teams than uh, Sam Darnold did. Um like Sam Darnold statistically had a had a massive drop off in terms of bowl teams in the regular season. Like a lot of his numbers and a lot of the awe that comes from him was just beating down teams like Arizona and then the Rose Bowl. And it seemed like as soon as we got to check off the box for Rose Bowl, we saw him do it in a big game. It was like all right, elevated to the elevated on the pedestal like immediately.
1: Exactly. And bowl look bowl bounce is a culture that goes just beyond like prognostication. So normally we talk about bowl bounce, we talk about like, uh, I think it was Bielema's second year at Arkansas, and they got to 500, and then they, they looked good in a bowl game, and all of a sudden, I think they beat, yeah, they beat Texas, and all of a sudden it was, oh, they're going to be 10-2. and two. Um, Bowl bounce is a real thing, and it also happens with personnel, especially quarterbacks. And when it comes to high-profile games that aren't the actual playoff, it doesn't get much more high-profile than that. It was a great game. It was awesome. I don't take anything away from the kid, but um, it is one game, and it is an isolated experience. I think he's going to have to be better than he was in terms of conference play for him to sustain the hype that he's already getting also though it is the summer a lot of this kind of shot like a lot of this attention just sort of disappears when we actually get like tangible football to talk about
0: yeah and and sometimes I feel like this comes back to a point with the Sam Darnold hype is you know, not to talk down, but I feel like there's a lot of people who cover football and people who consume football that just don't really know what they're watching. So you, you kind of see like Sam Donald in this next lineage of USC quarterbacks. And he has a couple of decent games on national TV, and that's enough to just throw him into the spotlight without actually knowing how talented he really is. And I, I mean, he, he just started his first year, so he can definitely get better. And he does have some intriguing upside, but people crowned him as you know the as a quarterback that the jets need to tank for it's just it's a bit outlandish to me right now
1: i think it's amazing that um we look at that and we go oh you know the lineage of usc quarterbacks and that's great they've had some <laughs> awesome quarterbacks but if you're talking about this from a pro perspective
0: there's only one what does that i mean what does
1: that mean it doesn't mean like,
0: anything besides carson palmer
1: exactly so
2: like 3 3 years of carson palmer but let's not right. just say blanket P- Carson Palmer
1: yeah so it's um, again I just think it's one of those positions we tend to overhype by default and that's okay it's just part of you know it's part of the disparity that is college football
0: now his uh, Wyoming has their own uh, guy who could be seen as a top five pick and Josh Allen and Justice touched on him is Wyoming going to beat the shit out of Oregon this year
1: <laughs> I, saw yes. this que- I mean I saw this question you guys um, did it's, me it's possible it's a hard place to play um i've seen you know i've seen teams in person lose at wyoming that are probably more talented um i don't know what jim levitt can do as dc immediately um i think he's going to be a i think he's a great fit for oregon on like a like a two to four year run of of getting them to where colorado was colorado's are just playing better than who they who they who they were who they are especially on defense um I don't know what he's going to do. What is that? Like the week four or something. I mean, week three. So that's, that's a tough one to call. I mean, it, Oregon, even, even the Oregon that we saw at the end of last season is still more talented by position than Wyoming, but why? I mean, it's, it's a weird place to play. It's a hard place to play. And on top of that, they've got more talent there than they've ever had. So, um, I don't know. I'm going to try and cover that game.
2: Yeah. They're, they're going to beat down my ducks. I, I don't know, man, if, uh, If, uh, crap, I'm forgetting his name. Brady Hoke. If Brady Hoke couldn't turn around that defense
1: instantly, I don't know how, how Jim Leavitt couldn't. Um, so I think uh, think the thing there is that Hoke was brought in to apply sort of the Michigan philosophy of defense to Helfrich's blur. And I just don't think those were ever going to complement each other. Taggart is not, I, I mean, you're not going to see the drag racing stuff that you saw at USF in terms of speed to the line. Now they, they'll run tempo definitely, but I think this year it's not – I think they're going to be a little bit more of a deliberate offense as they figure out what they have on defense. So it might be the slowest Oregon team that we've seen in years. Well, that's what happened with
2: Taggart at at the start at U, at USF, right? Like it was kind of a, sl- a slower team and then it ended up building to a more fast-paced team. He came, he came into Tampa
1: running straight-up old-school, like Michigan-I, big – lumbering, two end sets, right? A lot of motion shift. And what he found as an ex-Bradenton Florida quarterback himself is the, the, the athletes in the region, the the kid, the reason you take the USF job is for the talent in the area, right? And the kids weren't matching up with that philosophy. It's not that you can't have a big, you know, a big rangy tight end that can run block as well as he can pass catch, but it's, it's that the tempo and speed, these kids, Kids were running faster and thinking less and being more efficient in space in high school. And then they were coming in and playing a style that just did not fit them. And so what they did was try and marry, marry the two things. They still love physical run, right? But they went to Baylor twice in the offseason, two back-to-back offseasons, and and basically looked at every single way that they would line up their receivers on run plays and started to mimic that, basically. wider, So wider splits, being closer to the sideline, drawing away defenders. There's an opening up lanes. It's actually the same thing that Steve Insberg talked about when I went down to LSU right after Ogeron got the job. And you know they couldn't do a lot midseason. What they w- the playbook is the playbook. You can't hand kids a new book and and you know say hey we got three days of practice this week we're going to conference play like that wouldn't work. But one of the things that they did at LSU was the same thing. In order to let Fournette and Geist and those guys eat a little better, they would spread everybody out. And so you and and especially in a culture like you know LSU. You didn't know what you were seeing. You thought for sure they're you know they're, they've got three or four wideouts and they end up running the ball. You know it's really interesting. Like that's sort of how USF got to where they were was they just they held on to that like Michigan football hardball thing like ideologically, but then they just started like screwing with it and seeing like well what would what would a Florida high school kid want to run and they started asking their kids like what like what do you feel comfortable doing and then they looked at the extreme opposite in Baylor and they made this Frankenstein thing. Now how that works in one, in that it in one offseason with a personnel that doesn't necessarily fit that, I don't know what they're going to do on Labor Day like when they come out. I I think I think we're going to have probably an ugly year for Oregon if if not maybe best case scenario probably a slow year. And then next year you talk about them as having a little bit more identity relative to their coach.
2: Yeah, I don't think uh I'm I'm up in Oregon by the way and I, I don't think anyone has any massive expectations for him immediately it just seems like they're happy that they can find they have finally have a coaching staff that like put, puts a priority on recruiting
1: yes now he's going to be psychotic in recruiting i mean he he told me specifically we talked about it before he got the job i knew that he was circling that job about two weeks before it happened and he told me we're going to take Oregon back to Texas. We're going to take Oregon back to Florida. We're going to go fight, you know, battles in Atlanta. We're going to go fight battles in, you know, Louisiana. If we have to, we're going to, that Oregon brand had shifted a little bit in recruiting to where they got comfortable with like this sort of flashy track star type of thing. And they didn't get in on kids that Taggart thinks are sort of crucial to running. You know, you can basically Taggart believes, Hey, if there's an offensive lineman is a four or five star kid in Dallas, we can fight for him as much as Texas can, as much as LSU can.
0: How how feasible do you think it is for some of these kids to want to go, say, from you know Atlanta or Dallas or Houston all the way out to Oregon? Because that just seems like a massive hurdle to me.
1: He's it's it, that brand is so unique. Yeah, I would say it's nearly impossible for the other Pac-12 schools that aren't USC and maybe UCLA to actually have LA as a recruiting a recruiting tool, but. That brand still has the a power, like a it, it still evokes something in kids. It still is sort of quintessentially cool when you go there and visit visit the facilities and look around. I think that helps. I think I think one of the reasons that Taggart was hired was that he. I think they're aware of how fragile that stuff is, right? Because if you take away the cool from Oregon and that unique stuff, like they're a football program in the middle of Pacific Northwest, right? Right. Right. And Taggart can carry that cool across the country and sort of redefine when we all first discovered Oregon as a nation back, you know, what is it, 15, 20 years ago. So they're banking a lot on it, man. It's going to be interesting.
2: Uh, so since we're talking about coaches anyway, I want to ask you this question. So a lot of people end up, like, whenever an NFL coaching job opens up, we for whatever reason, people end up looking to college football, even mm-hmm. though, like, the transition from college football to the NFL isn't nearly as much as, like, what – what people who write you know top 10 coaches uh perceive i guess um Mm -hmm. what 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 coach is most likely to jump from college football to the nfl and i guess i would say vice versa from the nfl to college football if something goes wrong
1: Mm, i think the nfl to college football you probably you're most likely now to see coordinators come to to jump back and forth um i think and and also the, the same can be said I think I think a couple of college coordinators would be poised to take pro jobs. I think Dave Aranda at LSU I think the next job he gets would be in league. Um, as far as head coaches go, I mean there there's a couple we mentioned consistently like David Shaw. I would stand by that. Um, I don't necessarily think these guys who are sort of czars of these major programs, you know, kind of sabins and sabins and training, same with the Meyer tree. I don't necessarily think those guys translate to the league. Um and we're all sort of learning this after after you know the last two decades. I think we're all started you know to realize like Steve Spurrier doesn't just plug into the Redskins, right? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a guy as far as in the league goes, it you, you you see it a lot of assistant head coaches and coordinators that have specific ties to universities, but um, as far as head coaches go, Lovey Smith is just such an such an exception, such a rarity, and we don't even know if that's gonna work. I mean logic says it won't maybe maybe because of lovey but probably more so because of illinois right. um, if if yeah if we're talking about ten win illinois in two years then i think you might see that trend kick back up
0: one guy i always thought that gus bradley could be a good college head coach just because he seems to have like that rah-rah mentality and i don't know it, it, it like they weren't very productive in jacksonville but i think that his style of coaching lends better towards adolescence than than grown men making millions of dollars
1: I would I would agree with you. I mean, I think that that's 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 one guy. Um, I just think a lot of guys get into the rhythm of being a pro coach, and it's it's certainly not like it, in no way am I saying it's an easier job. I just think the details and the rhythm of that job are so so much more unique now to the NFL, and I think guys don't want to go like. I think guys don't want to go back into the recruiting grind. Guys don't yeah. want to go back into the parenting grind of having to baby these guys, you know, look at whatever fresh NFL scandal there is. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, like the coaches themselves are not being held as moral arbiters here. You know, they're just the employees screwed up. The, you know, you, you debate league policy, you debate team policy. Rarely do you blame a head coach or the assistant coaches if a, if a if a 25-year-old NFL player screws up. Right. And
0: uh we know we're pushing it's the clock here with you. So one question before we let you go. Uh it looks like we're headed towards a civil war in this country. <laughs> so which mil- which military academies will rise up again?
1: <laughs> um well look, I'm probably older than both of you. Oh, I'm 36. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I promise things are never as bad or as good as they seem. So (laughs) on on a sincere note, uh, step outside of the individual vacuum that you always put yourself in and realize that things are actually headed in good directions. I know it doesn't seem like it sometimes. It might be hard to believe, but I promise you that there's more positive to find than there is negative when you look, uh, when you look hard and you look the right way. Now, all back inside the joke um you'd have to reinstitute a draft if it's a civil war you're talking about like the dominant part of the nation having both like all three maybe like all three academies i don't know um you'd have to have a draft so that's the biggest thing right I mean, all three of them would be world-beating. Can you imagine? Like, actually, just, just pause and think about that. You would have three service academies with, by the way, there's no roster limit on those, on those guys. Like, I, I spent a week with Army last year before the Navy game. You can have 500 kids dressed out if you want. They, they're not subject to the same rules as other FBS and D1 teams. So huh. you could have, like, the deepest bench in the world, right? And yeah, I'll tell you one thing. They would sure as hell would stop playing triple option. Like in like overnight, oh, they would stop playing instantly. triple option. <laughs> um, you would see, I mean, really, just think about it this way: what it's when you do those when we see those stupid, you know, all conference preseason lists. Like, just take one of those from the Big Ten of the SEC, and like that's your team. They'd be amazing. Absolutely,
0: yeah, that'd, that'd be a, a fun reality to see, minus the you know whole war part, but. Yeah, like hey, I
1: got I got five extra minutes if you want to talk Falcons.
0: Uh, how do you feel
1: how excited are you for this upcoming season? I'm trying I man. Don't, I'm I'm trying. I'm trying. Um I'm writing a piece for the NFL preview. I don't know if it'll run in our NFL preview at SB Nation or if it'll run like during week one, but I have yet to write anything or really even reflect on being having been there. Um You were at the game? I was at the game, I was oh also at the NFC. I hadn't been to a Falcons game in years because of my job. Obviously, like I'm not really in a position to do that. And then uh, on a lark, a friend got through some like corporate connections in Atlanta, got two like Mezzanine seats to the NFC Championship. So keep in mind, you know, like I've been a Falcons, fan. I've cared more about the Falcons my entire life than any other sports thing ever. I mean, the Braves are a close second, but all, like I cover football, I know football. It's different. Right. Um, I grew up in the in the D.C. suburbs. My family's from Georgia. But we moved around a lot. My dad was in the government, and that's a you know D.C. is a pro town without a doubt. So, that is, um, there's a huge emphasis on pro sports and specifically pro football. Um, I definitely think that like <sighs> leaving the NFC Championship, I thought it was going to be like this. I thought the Super Bowl was going to be the greatest experience of my life. I mean 3 quarters in the Super Bowl. I thought that the Super Bowl was going to be the greatest experience of my life. <laughs> and I still can't rectify it. <laughs> See, that
0: that's where that's where I am. I am just like uh, it's cool. I, I think they they have a potential to be a, a good team this year again, but man, it's it's hard to it's hard to, as a fan it's hard to get past like what the hell just happened in February.
1: I think it's a matter of it, it, it's like everything I'm trained to do as a journalist is sort of ignore, you know, team mottos and team creeds, right? Like, it's all cliche and it doesn't mean anything. But then you just want to as a fan. Like, you want to believe right now because the objectively look at it, the roster's really good, right? Mm-hmm. The defense is better. I think, I think they've drafted extremely well the last two years, right? The most exciting parts of the Super Bowl to me, honestly, was for three quarters— watching this illusion of like Keanu Neal and even Jalen Collins and all of these young guys that that were brought on by this staff in the last two years. Like Grady Jarrett, you know, Deion Jones, like oh out, man. right. Like great and Grady Jarrett's a great example of like, yeah, somebody else was gonna draft Vic Beasley in the first round. But like I mean, you know, Deion Jones and Grady Jarrett, those are guys that, that that's a product of evaluation to me. And you know, Neil was if you remember, Neil was like panned as a pick in the first round, right? Oh yeah, uh, so did, he
2: was, he was said, coming he said, off an injury and all sorts of stuff. PFF, PFF said that that's like their only negative grade on a guy in yeah. like the first two rounds of the draft in the
1: two years that they've done draft coverage, and people would just slam so, yeah. Keon O'Neill. You want to you like you want to look at those things and and say well then everything's headed in the right direction. Quarterback that I've always thought was underrated in the prime of his career. Okay, um, a, you know go through the skill positions. Everything everything is solid. Right, improvements at receiver. I kind of, you know, coming to terms with the fact that you know it was time for Roddy to move on. Like every single thing makes you feel good. Alec, how great of a free agent signing was Mac? It was, I mean, oh, after man. five, six, seven years of really bad free agent signings, some of which we're still dealing with. Like you, so you want to think that it's going to be a great season? You want you you want to think it's going to be a fourteen and two season? I'm serious. I just don't know how I can live through a 14 and 2 season or, or or even a 10 and 6 season. I don't know how I can do it, man.
0: I don't either. I think there's a so, me- what,
1: so what do they go out and beat Green Bay uh, in uh, week 2 to open the stadium? That would be awesome, right? Like but but on the Monday after that game, it doesn't matter. They're still just a 2 and 0 football team or a 3 and 1 football team or whatever. It's not going to matter. This is what I do remember because I was because I was 10 years old in 91 when the Braves got amazing all of a sudden was I remember as a kid that when they would lose those world series and playoff appearances before they beat Cleveland in 95 you would just think like this is awesome they you know they're x amount of games of 500 they're in first place it doesn't matter until they win the title and when you're when you're basically you know 10 and 6 minutes away whatever from a, from a super bowl I'm not I, I don't know if I can emotionally invest until they're back in the super bowl with a quarter to go and a lead you know yeah <laughs> yeah and so like is that going to happen
0: I don't know, but there's part of me that hopes they they kind of miss the playoffs, so we, we don't have to go through that again. But
1: yes, you know what? You, like, I'm glad you said it, and I haven't really come <laughs> to terms with that yet. But I, I, I really can't. If, if they end up nine and seven this year and they miss a wild card spot, everyone's going to say what a disappointment, and I'm I'm going to be like you. I'm going to breathe easy. Oh yeah, because I if can they, watch the playoffs. Uh, Stress free, yeah, no Exactly. Jokes. And then if they end up thirteen and three. And they lose in like the NFC championship, it that to me is like probably the most devastating thing possible. But then I look around the conference and I'm like, all right, well, who am I scared of? I'm not really scared of anybody.
0: Neither am I. Especially, you know, Dallas' defense doesn't scare me and they just seem you
1: know all over the place right now. Uh Dak is a, I think Dak is a great unique talent, but I like year two regression is a real thing, you know? Yep. Yeah. They've got a great offensive line, but I think you can confuse him because he's still very, very young. And so, I don't know. It scares me, man. Yeah. It's just the whole thing. Like, <laughs> It's insane. It's insane. It's a- like, this is probably the most talented Atlanta Falcons team, maybe in franchise history. And I'm dreading every single moment of this upcoming season because of what happened in February. <laughs> that,
0: that, I mean, that, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it, too. Just the tortured life of a Falcons fan. All right, but Before that's- I let you go, uh, anything you're working on that you want to let the people know about?
1: Yeah, um, I've got, uh, check out SB Nation. We just did the 2007 retrospective. Um, and then we've got another sort of similar, I don't know if it's going to be quite as big, but our, our season preview goes up. I spent uh, a couple of days with Ed Ogeron and at LSU, uh, I'm continuing to plug along and cover the Ole Miss and CA stuff. Um, but then also like week one, I'm going to have a bunch of previews of some, uh, like kind of rising stars in coaching. So Neil Brown at Troy, Frank Wilson at Texas, San Antonio, a couple of those guys. So check that out.
0: Awesome. Sounds good. So that's gonna conclude episode thirty seven of Seven the Edge. We'll be back uh probably next week to recap week two of the preseason, hopefully with our pal Key and Faye, so we can get off some of these quarterback
2: hot takes. See you guys later.